Rasir Bolton's tip in led Gonzaga to a very difficult victory over San Francisco on the road, a much-needed performance after a disaster game by Drew Timmy. The big question now, should Gonzaga fans be concerned? You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, we are back, folks. Missed Thursday's episode, a little delayed here on Friday. Many of you can probably already hear it in my voice as we are getting over one of those nasty winter colds. Gonzaga themselves had to get over a, I guess not a cold, but a dry spell, certainly, at least from Drew Timmy. A really struggling game for him against the Dons on Thursday evening. Fortunately, thanks in large part to senior guard Rasir Bolton, the Zags were able to secure a victory 77-75 to to avoid losing a very early game in conference play. The Dons dropped to 0-3 in WCC play. A bit of a surprise considering how strong they looked in this contest. They had a game plan. They came out. They executed it very well. This is not the first time they have really stymied and frustrated Drew Timmy. We saw that last year. I thought maybe it wouldn't be as much of a concern this year, in part because of how Drew has been playing for the last two weeks and in part because San Francisco lost Yuhen Masalski to graduation. Uh, but they still have a handful of big dudes, and those guys really did a good job of shadowing Drew, uh, preventing him from getting good looks. He was 3 of 16 from the field in this one, for those of you who don't look at box scores, but just watched the game and felt like, man, feels like Drew's missing all of his shots. It pretty much did. That's pretty much what happened. This is extremely uncharacteristic for Drew. I don't think it's a sign of anything to come. Uh, Drew has had bad games in the past. It's not like he's never had a bad game, although sometimes it doesn't feel like he ever has bad games. But when he does, he tends to respond extremely well in the following game. So uh, I think Santa Clara, which we'll talk about them more in the third segment, uh, they're going to they're going to have to be be ready because Drew's going to come out and be ready to roll. He's not going to have two bad games in a row. But I think a big question for this team all season long has really kind of been, where is the secondary scoring going to come from? We've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, whether it's Julian Strother stepping up and being that consistent number two guy, whether there's somebody else they need to look for, whether Malachi Smith takes on a bigger role, all of this stuff. One player that we have discussed but have kind of written off because it has been a poor start to the season is Rasir Bolton. Bolton had some uncharacteristically very bad games early in the year, really struggled against Baylor, has had disappearing acts against teams that he doesn't really have any business having disappearing acts against. It has been a little bit startling. I mentioned on this pod that it seems like he almost can't quite figure out what his role is, which I didn't think that his role was changing all of that dramatically from last year, but obviously a new point guard. Andrew Nembhard was kind of a maestro at getting everybody in position and and getting the team set up where they wanted to be. Nolan Hickman hasn't quite figured that out yet. We'll talk about him a little bit more. And so maybe there was some some confusion for Bolton. He's taking on a little bit more of a point guard role at, at times as well. And he just kind of looked a little tentative, looked a little hesitant. Uh, but he came out absolutely guns a-blazing in this one. 21 points in 25 minutes. Uh, he had 8 of 12 shooting, 5 of 7 from deep. That 
is what Rasir Bolden is on this team to do. Be efficient with the basketball. He doesn't need it in his hands a bunch of times to score. In fact, you don't want your third or fourth uh, scorer to be a guy who needs the ball a bunch in his hands. Ball-dominant guards don't really fit well in Gonzaga's offense, especially not alongside a player like Drew Timmy. Bolton is not that. He is more of a catch-and-shoot, get-out-and-transition type of score. He showed that in this game. Again, 21 points in 25 minutes without being the lead ball-dominant guard. That is fantastic. Of course, none of those points more important than the tip in he had off of Drew Timmy miss uh, with seven seconds to go in the final uh, minute of this game against the Dons. Really, really nice performance from Roz, something that the Zags really needed. I mentioned last year, especially as we got into the tournament time, Bolton at, at times was Gonzaga's most clutch player, the guy who came through at the end of games when the Zags really needed him to. And I was hoping he would kind of take that mantle again this year because that's one of the concerns about Gonzaga is do they have a killer instinct guy? They have a guy who's just going to go get a bucket when you're late in the game and you just need points. And teams that are are reliant on post players to get points at the end of the game, that's tough. That's difficult to do. We saw it when, when Purdue was trying to win over Rutgers with Zach Eady, and they just they struggled to get him the ball. They struggled to get open looks there. Now, uh, this game, obviously, the Zags did design a play for Drew, and he got a pretty good look, but he was having an off night, and he just didn't make it. And Bolton was there for the rebound, uh, got that ball, got it in the bucket, and secured a victory for the Zags. I'm not going to dwell too much on Drew Timmy's performance because I don't think that we're going to see much of it going forward. I do, however, have some pretty significant concerns about what Gonzaga did on the glass because they didn't do anything on the glass. That was the issue here. They were out-rebounded 45-26. to nearly 20 more rebounds for the Dons. This is a big USF team. Like they're not as small as many other WCC opponents are going to be two guys over seven feet tall who play consistent minutes for this team, but you cannot get out rebounded by 20 to a team like USF. Frankly, Gonzaga can't get out rebounded by 20 against anybody. They should not be winning any games where you get out-rebounded by 20. To get out-rebounded by 20 to a team like USF, still pull off a victory is good news, but man, it is not going to happen too many more times. They had 11 boards in the first half. That's it. That is it. USF, shout out to Chris Gerlison and the coaching staff there. They came in with the game plan. They were aggressive, uh, sending multiple guys to the boards, sending multiple guys at Drew Timmy. They had a plan. They executed it. Gonzaga settled for too many outside shots, didn't try to crash the glass crash the glass, excuse me, as effectively as they could. This is the stat that really stands out to me. 22 to 2 in terms of second chance points in this game. USF had 22 second pants chance points Gonzaga had two that is an absolute disaster and if you want to find something in this game that you can take forward going forward for the Zags and say this is what needs to change if this team wants to be uh, an elite a team hell if they want to be a sweet 16 team you got to get rebounds much much more than they did in this game that to me was the biggest thing it prevented them from getting out in transition it prevented them from getting easy second chance points opportunities until of course the very end of the game for Rasir Bolton there Uh, and it's something that absolutely needs to change for this team in order to reach their potential. And then I wanted to mention Nolan Hickman here as well. I struggled again. The outside numbers don't look terrible. Eight points on four of seven shooting. That's not awful. Oh, of three from deep. So he made all of his, his shots within uh, the three-point line, missed all three of them from outside. Three assists and one turnover. So again, not awful by any stretch of the imagination, but you want more from your point guard. And we've seen him struggle a lot this year, and usually he rebounds with a solid game. He struggled against Pepperdine and didn't really have a big rebound here against USF. I'm not overly concerned just yet because Malachi Smith is in the wings. Rasir Bolton is in the wings. Hunter Salas is in the wings. 
if Gonzaga needs to go to some other guys to play more point guard roles, they can. But we're kind of hoping to see Hickman find it. And he just hasn't quite done it yet. This was always going to be a tough matchup with Khalil Shabazz, Tyrell Roberts. Very, very good guards on both ends of the floor. But still hoping to see Hickman kind of take that next step. Perhaps the Santa Clara game or sometime in the next week is when we'll kind of see him turn the corner for the Bulldogs. Well, Gonzaga really, really struggled to execute parts of their game plan here in this one. Uh, we're going to take a look at what went wrong and how it could impact this team going forward, specifically against Santa Clara on Saturday. But first, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all of the fat and calories, then you have to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to le- eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me when you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I have got just the thing for you. You have to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built bars. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It is everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. It is hosted by myself and my co-host, Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. It is also available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're going to look back at my five Keys to this San Francisco game, many of them are things that we saw Gonzaga significantly struggle with. They've been things that Gonzaga, in many cases, has struggled with all season long. Uh, We're not only going to look at these keys, we're also going to kind of look at how they might impact Gonzaga against Santa Clara. And then we're going to close out the show, taking a closer look at the Broncos, what this team is, who they are, who's gone, who's still there, uh, and why they might present a challenge for the Zags on Saturday. Uh, The first key here, we talked about it a little bit in the first segment, get out and transition. The Zags had nine fast break points, nine. That is it. It's been an issue for them all season long. We saw Michigan State kind of make a concerted effort to really take away transition opportunities for Gonzaga in their second game of the season. Granted, that game was on an aircraft carrier. It's understandable why a team might try to take away fast break opportunities in a game where shooting is going to be really, really challenging. But what it did was it created a blueprint for other teams to say, hey, Gonzaga struggles if you take away their their transition. And this team doesn't have Andrew Nembhard, who is uh, better at anybody in the country last year, one of the best NBA players, quite frankly, at passing ahead, getting guys open looks out in transition. They don't have any more, him anymore. They don't have Chet Holmgren, who was an automatic rebound effectively around the rim. And a lot of his blocks led to fast break opportunities. Missing those two guys, you're just not going to see as many fast break opportunities. And then when they struggle to rebound, and they really struggled to rebound in this one, if you can't clean up the glass, you can't get out and transition you got to send more guys usf was sending three four five guys to crash the glass gonzaga has to send all their guys in order to make sure they get the rebound doing that kind of takes you out of the transition game it was a good strategy by girlson and the dons it worked extremely well we're going to see a lot of other teams including santa clara probably attempt to do this 
how effective they will be with less uh, prep time, I suppose, depending on how long they've been considering this as a strategy. Uh, kind of remains to be seen. Santa Clara's got some size. Jaden Bediaco, Char- the, the older brother of Charles Bediaco, the center for the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. He's a big guy. They still got Keyshawn Justice and Parker Braun. They're both good rebounders. Uh, I think Gonzaga's going to have to do better at getting out in transition, but I think they're going to have a hard time doing that unless they make a concerted effort to make some changes uh, to the way that they rebound and the way that they get out going uh, on offense. Next up, another big key throughout the season, although one that wasn't a significant problem for the Bulldogs, at least not on Thursday evening, that is taking care of the basketball. The Zags only had six turnovers. The only player who had more than one turnover in this game was Anton Watson. He had two. Everybody else had just one or zero for the Zags. Uh, Meanwhile, the San Francisco Dons had 17. Huge, huge difference maker in this game between these two teams was Gonzaga having 11 less turnovers, only six. Really fantastic performance for the Bulldogs here. Uh, It was a, a big difference maker. 11 more turnovers is almost always going to go towards the team that won, even if Gonzaga got smashed on the glass, smashed in second chance points, couldn't get out in transition. The fact of the matter is when they've had the ball in the half court, they didn't turn the ball over. That's huge. Santa Clara is going to attempt to get a lot of turnovers. They have a lot of guys who get a lot of steals. Uh, This is obviously a big part of any team's game plan against Gonzaga is how can we prevent them from getting out in transition? How can we prevent them uh, from, from, or how can we get them to turn the basketball over more? I should say for Gonzaga, if they can knock down those two things, they're going to beat everybody in the league. Uh, But the turnover issue here in this case, wasn't an issue. They just had a lot of other problems that led to a near loss on the road at war Memorial to the Dons. Next up, a big key in this one I thought was trying to stretch the defense, uh, prevent USF's big men from just hanging out around the basket. Part of the reason for this key was to prevent them from out-rebounding the Zags. That obviously did not work uh, as USF had a significant rebounding advantage. Uh, And it was kind of to also give Drew Timmy more room to operate down low. USF did a really good job on the defensive end of the floor here. Now, Anton Watson did take four threes in this game. He knocked down two of them. That is his best effort at attempting to stretch the defense. And it did work in this sense when he knocks down a couple threes, you have to respect him. Ben Gregg also took four threes in this game, only made one of them. Not terrible. I don't mind that he's taken those shots. I think that they're fine shots for him to be taking. But at the at the end of the day, you need to be able to knock him down more consistently in order for defenses to actually step out and respect you. Drew himself 0 for 1 of deep. Uh, not, a, not really a big factor in this game necessarily, but... Uh, I want to see Gonzaga have more ability to stretch the defense in the future and, and kind of force defenses to really step out of their comfort zone in order to defend them. Gonzaga lets defenses stay in their comfort zone way too often. We've seen it for the huge majority of Gonzaga's games this year. And that's something that they're going to need to change, force opposing defenses to do something different uh, because that's a big, a big recipe for success. A next key in this game was being willing to turn to the depth early. And we just didn't see that in this one. Gonzaga got down 10 at halftime down the vast majority of the second half, never really got an opportunity to get a lot of their depth guys in. Four of their five starters played more than 33 minutes. The only one who didn't was Rasir Bolton, who interestingly had the best game of any of Gonzaga's five starters. Uh, Malachi Smith played 17 minutes. Hunter Salas only played 11. Part of that is because he got into foul trouble and had to sit for a heart, huge chunk of the game early. Uh, ben Gregg played nine minutes, and that was it. This is another key for Gonzaga is just being able to get more guys' minutes, being able to get – you know, guys nine and 10, like Dominic Harris, Efton Reed, getting them more minutes during the regular season, getting them opportunities to kind of show what they can do alongside the starters, alongside the second unit. Because if those guys aren't out there, we're just not getting a chance to see what they can bring. And if we're needing them in March and they haven't played consistent minutes for months, 
that's going to be a problem for the Zags as well. So would have liked to see more depth in this one, but understandable why they didn't because they were down for most of the first half. You got to play your best guys when you're losing a game. And that's something that Gonzaga will hopefully not have to do as much going through conference play. And then finally, the last key here uh, of this game was pressuring San Francisco's backcourt. Uh, Khalil Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts were awesome. Absolutely awesome in this one. They combined for 35 points, 18 and 17, uh, respectively, for those two guys. 12 of 26 shooting for these two guys. They're not the most efficient pair of scorers in the in the conference by any stretch of the imagination. Shabazz is kind of a chucker, to be quite honest, but he had a really, really good game against the Bulldogs. These two guys combined to go 6 of 12 from deep. Again, I mentioned Hunter Salas' foul trouble as an issue, and I do think that, that was a significant part of this. He's Gonzaga's best perimeter defensive player. He's their best on-ball guard defender against two of the best guards in the conference. He only played 11 minutes because of foul trouble. I think Gonzaga probably should have leaned on him a little bit more. He only had three fouls. You know, if he'd had four, I guess I understand, but maybe give him some more opportunities. Of course, Bolton had his best game uh, of his of the season, so you don't necessarily want to take away too many minutes from him, but I think there were some more opportunities to get Salas some minutes, maybe over Hickman, maybe even over Strother, depending on the lineups or the situation, and we just didn't see it much, and it it allowed USF's backcourt duo of Shabazz and Tyler Roberts to, to really go ham and have a really big game, which is exactly what USF needed in order to secure a victory, which they almost did. Now we're going to close out the show looking ahead to another very solid Bay Area WCC squad, the Broncos of Santa Clara, who could really present a real issue for the Bulldogs. We'll talk about that here in the third segment. All right, segment three, still in Patton, still locked on Zags, still here talking about Gonzaga's Bay Area road trip to kick off conference play. Of course, they open with Pepperdine on the 31st, just barely escaped from the Dons of San Francisco on Thursday. Now they head to Santa Clara to play the Broncos on Saturday, 6 p.m., this is a good Santa Clara team. And I know we said this a lot last year and certainly Jalen Williams ended up being the 12th overall pick in the NBA draft. Now looks like a top five player in that class, probably going to be an all rookie team type performer, really fantastic blow up for him. This team lost Jalen Williams. They lost transfer guard, PJ pipes. Uh, they lost Yusuf Brankic, who was one of their best big men in, in quite frankly, in the school's history, or at least in the recent history for the Broncos. And so looking at that and seeing these three losses, you think, okay, maybe this team took some regression. They're not near, Nearly uh, the caliber of team that they were last year when they beat TCU by 20 points and probably would have gotten an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament had they not had some early season injuries that cost them a few games. But the Broncos are back. Herb Sendek is not worried about the players that he lost. He brought in some really talented players. Some of their younger guys stepped up into bigger roles, really admirable. And now we're looking at a team that's 14-4 and four on the season. They are 3-1 and one in conference play. Their only loss in the WCC is to St. Mary's. It was a three-point game there. They have a win over Pepperdine. They have a win over USF. Uh, they beat USF by about three points, so they're going to be right in this one potentially. Uh, they do have some losses, though. They lost to San Jose State, which is far, far and away their ugliest loss, but the kind of loss that unfortunately pretty much decimates your at-large hopes of making the NCAA tournament. They also have a loss to Central Florida, again, a good team, not an elite team. They have a loss to Utah State, who was previously undefeated at the time. Utah State is a borderline NCAA tournament team, so... 
can't really lose those kind of games, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think you. I don't think Santa Clara's four losses look all of that bad. They don't have any monster wins though either. They have good wins. They have a win over Boise State. That's a really nice win. They have a win over DePaul. Not a strong Big East team, but a Big East team. Likewise, they have a win over Cal. A very very weak power five school, but a power five school at least. They also win over Rick Patino's Iona Gales, UC Irvine out of the Big West, and perennial WAC champion New Mexico State. Right now, Ken Palm has them 90th in the country. They are adjusted by adjusted offense, 80th by adjusted defense. They are 98th, so they are a fairly balanced team, slightly better offensively than they are defensively. Still top 100 in both categories, which is very, very good in the WCC. Tempo-wise, they are 65th, so not an extremely fast team, not a team that loves to get out and transition the way that like Pepperdine and a couple of other teams, like Arizona in particular, play this year, but still a team that likes to get out and go when they can. We'll see how that kind of translates into this game. Gonzaga tends to try to outrun as many teams as they can the teams that have been the most effective against them this year have been the teams that have prevented that a la san francisco a la michigan state a la purdue etc etc we have seen teams take that away from them and really kind of stop them pepperdine attempted to run with gonzaga and they got their bell rung i suspect sendek and santa clara are going to try the opposite strategy of slowing the zags down even if it means they have to play a little outside of their comfort zone but we will see what that ends up looking like santa clara is averaging about 74 points per game and they are a good good outside shooting team i think that's a big key for how this game is potentially going to go on saturday 35 percent from deep not particularly efficient otherwise only 43 percent from the field in general uh the big player to keep an eye on the name that you will hear a whole bunch of times called throughout this game is transfer guard brandon Podzimski. he transferred out of illinois he barely played for the illini it was kind of a, a relatively unheralded transfer he didn't play a ton there he was a highly rated regard or highly regarded prospect uh, but i think the kind of people sort of dismiss this one and like oh well, i guess we'll see what happens he's been a revelation he has been a revelation for the broncos he's averaging a shade under 19 points per game he's averaging eight and a half rebounds three and a half assists and a little over two steals per game like i said if you played in a wcc fantasy basketball league i mentioned khalil shabazz last time as being a top pick so would brandon Podzimski. he does a little bit of everything he's a good scorer a good rebounder a good passer good defensively shooting just under 40 percent from deep he can light it up he can score multiple different ways he crashes the glass he is going to be an absolute load for the zags to try to handle really really nice get via the transfer portal for herb sendek and the broncos Another player that's been that really deserves some love is Carlos Stewart. Carlos Stewart is a sophomore at Santa Clara, and you're forgiven if you don't remember him last year. Only played a handful of minutes per game, averaged about five points in a reserve role behind PJ Pipes, behind Jalen Williams to an extent. Now he steps into a much bigger role with those guys out the door, and he has looked fantastic. 15 points a game, two and a half boards, two assists, 1.3 steals, and he is a knock down shooter 42 percent from deep between him and Podzimski there's going to be a lot of shooting a lot of outside shots they space the defense well they can get to the rim uh, good creative players good scorers good good at distributing the basketball as well those two guys are going to be a problem for the Zags they're going to Hunter Salas is going to need to have a big game out on the wing uh, they're going to need to not bite on those dumb pump fakes like they've been doing not get gashed in the pick and roll they have to be disciplined high level defensive team because this team can score a lot of points just with those two guys alone 
Now, a good team doesn't just have two good players. Santa Clara has a lot of good depth from last year's team all returning. I want to highlight three players in particular who have been a big part of what Santa Clara has done for the last few years, who are all back in action doing good work this season. Number one is Keyshawn Justice. I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Justice is a knockdown outside shooter. I think he was like 44% last year as a six foot eight forward. Really rare to see guys do that in the WCC. He has been that guy so far this year. The shooting's down a little bit, but he's still averaging 12 points per game, still shooting about 35% from deep. Parker Braun, it feels like he's been at Santa Clara for a really long time. Uh, he's averaging eight and a half points and 6.3 rebounds as kind of a reserve big uh, for the Broncos. And then, of course, I mentioned him already, the older brother of Charles Bediaco out of Alabama. That is Jaden Bediaco. Bediaco's averaging seven points and six rebounds per game. Really nice team here in Santa Clara, a squad that I don't think is going to make the NCAA tournament because of some early season loss. It's kind of the same story as this team had last year, unfortunately. But they're a team that could absolutely contend for a top three spot in the WCC. Heck, they're a team that could, if the chips fall the right way, could pull off a stunner and win the WCC tournament and secure an at-large bid, or excuse me, an automatic qualifying bid. I do believe this team is good enough to do that. I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga on Saturday, but I think that they're one of the more dangerous teams in the conference. I'm not going to go through a full five keys to the game here, but I'll give you a few. Um, Drew's not going to struggle, struggle twice. He's not going to struggle twice in a row. It's very, very rare for that to happen. True road game. That crowd is going to be popping. They're going to be talking all signs of all kinds of crap to Drew throughout this game. And I think he's going to go out and dominate. Get him the ball. Get him the ball early. Get him the ball often. Let him go to work. I think he's going to respond from this game against USF by dropping 25-plus against the Broncos. And I think it's in Gonzaga's best interest to get him involved as much as they possibly can. Of course, another big key is to be more intentional about cleaning up the glass. Do not let San Francisco, or excuse me, do not let Santa Clara do what San Francisco did. Do not let them be the more the primary aggressor, the one who's instigating the changes. Do not let them set the tone, set the pace, uh, and be the team that crashes the glass. Like force them not to do that. If they're crashing the glass aggressively, every time you get a rebound, go. Get out and transition. Make them pay for not getting guys back on defense. You do that two or three times in a row. Rasir Bolton, Hunter Salas, etc., has an easy lay-in because Gonzaga got the ball out in transition. They're going to back off. They're going to stop doing that because they can't just afford to get gashed in the in the transition game the way that they would if Gonzaga were able to do that. I know that they don't have the personnel to do that as easily as they did last year with Chet Holmgren and Andrew Nempard, but it is critical in my mind that Gonzaga make Santa Clara pay every time they aggressively crash the offensive boards, get out and transition, go get a bucket that way, make them pay. I think another key here is really what Gonzaga gets out of Hunter Salas. I thought I thought Mark Few was a bit too tentative, a bit too conservative the way that he played his minutes last game. He only played 11 minutes, like we said, in a game where Gonzaga was playing really, really good guards who were having really, really good games, and they didn't bring their best perimeter defensive player out into the game for as much as they could have. Hopefully Salas can avoid getting in foul trouble in this game. Obviously, that's a part of it here. Some of the blame does fall on him. You can't pick up early fouls. It, it's a, it, it makes things a lot more challenging when you do that. But if Salas can come out, play a good game, keep Brandon Podzinski in front of him, keep Carlos Stewart in front of him, uh, make those guys shoot over him, make those guys shoot tough shots, they still might knock some of them down. But I think if Salas can play really, really good defense, play 25 minutes a game, 
make life hell for those guys as much as he possibly can out on the perimeter. I think that really helps Gonzaga lead to a victory. So uh, we got a really fun game coming up on Saturday. I'm really excited about it. We're going to talk a lot more about this game uh, next Monday. I know many of you submitted uh, Andy Locks. For those of you who don't know what Andy Locks is, it is a hot take segment that we do periodically where you submit a hot take to me. I grade it too hot, too cold, or just right a la Goldilocks, hence the name. Uh, many of you did submit those to me ahead of Thursday's show. I did not record a show on Thursday. I will get those into a episode next week. If you have a hot take about this team that you want to submit, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Andy Patton, CBB, or email me, andypatton013 at gmail.com. We'll talk a lot more about that stuff next week. For now, though, that is going to do it for me today. Uh, all right here, of course, on the Locked On Zags podcast. Go subscribe if you haven't already. Go find us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. It is very much appreciated. I also appreciate all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball podcast. Again, it's myself. It's Isaac Shade, five days a week all things college hoops. We talk Zags. We talk every other team. We're talking top fives. We're interviewing players. We're interviewing coaches. It is a fantastic show. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. You can also go find it on YouTube. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go there, hit the subscribe button for both Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball, and we will be best friends forever. All right, guys, thank you all for listening. And for now, go Zags.